to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And Kelsey, it's the spooky season. We are fully into October now. (laughs) And uh, are you doing anything festive this year? Well, I will be working on Halloween. Mm. So I might do something festive the night before, (laughs) but we'll find out. What's really going to happen is... I'm just going to enjoy looking at everybody's spooky videos on Instagram. Yeah, Yeah, that's about my speed, too. We're going to hide in our house, as we have done the last couple of years, (laughs) with the lights off. Although, um, we have a bunch of kids in the cul-de-sac I live in. And so, like, last year, because of COVID, they did, like, a a cul-de-sac Halloween costume parade. And so, Mm -hmm. we donated some candy to the the cause. So, you know, we were were involved with our neighbors. But uh, I think we'll be about the same speed. My husband grew some really fantastic heirloom pumpkins that are beautiful maybe i should take a picture of those and put them up on our instagram story you should do that you should i will i will do that i'll take a picture of the pumpkins and they'll be on our instagram story uh the day this comes out so sorry if you missed it but (laughs) (laughs) that's where they'll be maybe i'll throw them on our blog post too why not but uh yeah so so I'm enjoying the fall weather we're sort of having here in California. It it rained last night. Yeah, it's sprinkling this morning here. The ground is wet. So that's like, that's California rain. Yeah, I mean, the ground is wet. It's chilly outside. And by chilly, I mean, like, it's only in the 60s. -hmm. That's like the high for the day. So it's like feeling very fallish. Yes, although two days ago it was 86 degrees. Yeah, and well, same. Pretty same. sunny. Yeah, I mean, same. <laughs> but that's that's California fall for you. You know, it starts, you're like, all right, fall is coming. And then the sun yep. comes out and it's 85 degrees and you're like, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's travel somewhere a little bit chillier for the fall season, shall we? We shall. Because the book that we're talking about today is Highland Haunting by Lily Maxton. And uh, so we're in the Scottish Highlands, I believe, uh, as our setting for this book today. This is a very short novella and kind of almost like an extra story to the series. So a bit of an odd choice, I admit, for for our podcast, because we haven't talked about the rest of this series nor have Kelsey and I read the rest of the series. But I chose it for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to do another diverse Regency, and this is a male male. Um, And two, I wanted to find something that was actually spooky. And that's really hard. Something that's like actually Halloween themed, because as we're going to talk about, Halloween wasn't really a thing in the Regency. It's really not a thing most other places except for in the U.S. <laughs> yes. And yeah, in more more recent times. So I also realized that we've done two male male novellas for our Halloween episodes out of the three Halloween episodes we've done. So that was not intentional. I realized it afterwards, but whoops. <laughs> All good. All good. We like them. We can't help it if they're spoopy. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I don't mean to say whoops as in it's a bad thing, but just like what a coincidence. So <laughs> anyhow, how about we talk about the author that's new to us? Yes. So today we are reading a book by Lily Maxton. 
She grew up in the Midwest, reading, writing, and daydreaming amidst cornfields. After graduating with a degree in English, she decided to put her natural inclinations to good use and embark on a career as a writer. When she's not working on a new story, she likes to tour old houses, add to her tea stash, and think of reasons to avoid housework. I think we're the same person. I think we're the same person. (laughs) (laughs) Are you Lily Maxton? Am I Lily Maxton? (laughs) Clearly, we would be best friends. (laughs) Clearly. Yeah, Lily sounds fabulous. And uh, now, as promised, we are going to talk about Halloween in the Regency. And this history fact is a bit long. And I've edited it down quite a bit from a couple of sources, um, which I will, of course, link in the show notes and add to our blog. But I found a lot of this really interesting. So I've left it in. Perfect. We like interesting. So Halloween has ancient roots as a pagan New Year and harvest celebration, which was later combined with Christian holy days to create the autumn season, which came to be known as All Tide. But where and by who was Halloween or All Tide celebrated during the Regency? And how appropriate were many of those celebrations to romance? So prior to merging with the Christian holy days of the autumn, the holiday now known as Halloween had its primary source in the Celtic festival of Samhain. Samhain was at the end of summer and thus also the beginning of winter. The days were growing shorter, the crops had to be gathered, and the gods shone proper appreciation for their bounty. It was the end of the old year and the beginning of the new, celebrated with a big community bonfire. Samhain was also the day that all taxes were due, all debts to be paid, and all trials to be held. However, this festival was, of course, much more than just business. At this time of great plenty, there was also great feasting and drinking, followed by loud and rowdy celebrations, which continued long into the night. Dancing and singing around the blazing bonfire, which held the darkness at bay before the oncoming winter, was a common feature of Samhain festivities. Because of its place between the two seasons, Samhain was also a special time of year which was believed to have supernatural aspects. During this time, it was understood that the door between this world and the next opened. The dead were able to pass back into this world, should they have business here. Those among the living who did not care to encounter certain of the dead that night painted their faces or found other ways to disguise their appearance in the hope of being overlooked. Also on that night, creatures called the Sid... Um, I'm not pronouncing that right because it's not my native language. It's S-I-D-H. Or fairies were free to cross over from their realm and into this one in order to be devil humankind. A wide variety of mystical and magical rituals were performed in the hope of protecting against their mischief. However, Samhain was not widely celebrated in England where few Celts lived, but rather in Scotland, Wales, Ireland, and the Isle of Man. Early in the 5th century, Pope Gregory I directed an abbot and root to convert the Celts that their indigenous celebrations should not be stamped out, but rather they should be merged into the existing holy days of the Christian calendar in order to garner more converts. Smart man. Mm-hmm. So, as the second millennia began, many of the Samhain revels still continued, but under a new name. The night before the Christian feast of all saints, that is, all those made holy or hallowed by the church was by then known as All Hallows Eve. In Scotland, it was commonly known as All Hallows Even, which over time was shortened to Halloween with an apostrophe E-N. 
And eventually, the apostrophe was also dropped and the name Halloween came into more common usage among Celtic peoples before the turn of the 16th century. Regardless of its name, this day marked the beginning of All Hallowtide, the season during which the living honored and prayed for the dead. But the pagan beliefs and superstitions which allowed that the dead could pass back into this world on that night persisted, in some rural areas, well into the 19th century. The darkness of Halloween was considered by many to be a very dangerous time. As Samhain was subsumed into Christianity and became Halloween, the Christian concept of the devil joined the other pagan deities and spirits which were believed to invade the realm of mankind on that night. Witches and other evil creatures known to consort with the devil were then also supposed to be abroad on Halloween night. People who had died with unfinished business were still assumed to have the ability to return to the human world on that night as well. Those among the living who wished to avoid any encounter with the dead would wear masks or don disguises, which they they hoped would make it difficult for the deceased to identify them. The Samhain bonfire persisted into Halloween. Once used by the Druid priests to kindle a new fire for the new year for their communities, it was also used to incinerate any refuse left from the harvest. By the, six, by the 16th century, young children went from door to door, begging for fuel for the community bonfire. These Halloween bonfires were believed to light the way for souls coming out of purgatory. There's also some interesting traditions about romance that have to do with these festivals. So beginning in the 18th century, walnuts, or rather their shells, were also used in Halloween fortune-telling games, which did not involve burning. In one game, tiny objects were sealed inside the empty shells, after which a pair of sealed shells were tied together with a string. Each pair was given to an unmarried man and woman to present at the evening's gathering. Upon opening the shells, if each shell contained the same object, the couple were destined to marry. If not, there was always next year. Nuts were not the only foodstuff which had a part of Samhain and later Halloween festivities. The most prevalent of all was apples, fruit which was plentiful and ripened in October, at the end of the month in which Samhain took place. A popular game in Britain for more than four centuries was bobbing for apples. It was beginning to fall out of favor in the less rural areas of England by the Regency, but was still played throughout Ireland. When intended for fortune-telling, the initials of each unmarried player was carved into an apple. Each player, sometimes blindfolded, would then attempt to retrieve an apple which was floating in a water-filled tub with only their mouth. The initials carved into the retrieved apple would indicate the player's future spouse. Across most of England in the lands occupied by the Angles and later the Saxons, non-Celtic people, Samhain was little known. Then in 1605, Guy Fawkes unwittingly gave the Protestant English something to celebrate in the season of All Hallowtide. On November 5th of that year, Fox attempted to blow up Parliament by filling the cell cellars below with barrels of gunpowder. He was caught before he could ignite the gunpowder and Parliament was saved. In the years that followed, it became custom to celebrate the foiling of the gunpowder plot by the lighting of a great bonfire in each town and village, bonfires very like those which were kindled in the Celtic regions on Halloween. Also, the version of Halloween which America has now exported to much of the world was unknown in most of Europe during the first half of the 19th century. It had its origins in Ireland and was exported to America with the massive Irish migrations to that country during the potato famine. It was in America that ancient Irish customs gave rise to the wearing of costumes, trick-or-treating for candy, and the carving of jack-o'-lanterns from pumpkins. But none of these practices were known anywhere in Great Britain during the Regency. However, the origin of pumpkin carving and decoration goes far back to ancient cultures of the world. Celtic cultures were the first to introduce carving to the scene, which later became a staple of Irish culture. 
The term jack-o'-lantern comes from an old Irish folktale called Stingy Jack. Legend has it that Jack invited the devil himself to have a drink with him. The thing is, Jack wasn't called stingy for no good reason. Jack wanted to get away with a free drink, so he tricked the devil into picking up his bar tab. After Jack passed away, he was prevented from moving on to the afterlife as punishment. Jack was cursed to eternally wander the earth in the dead of the night with only a single coal ember to guide him. Jack would place his light in a hollowed-out turnip, and from that point on, people began to call him Jack of the Lantern, or Jack-o'-Lantern for short. In reference of this tale, the Irish began to carve out vegetables in his likeness. The carved produce served as a deterrent to keep Jack away while lighting the way for good spirits. That's right. Pumpkins were not the first items that were decorated for what was known as All Hallows' Eve. Turnips and other root vegetables were used instead. The original carvings were meant as a deterrent to scare away Jack from homesteads. After many Irish families immigrated to America in the 1800s, they found that pumpkins made for excellent carving specimens, especially because pumpkins didn't grow really well in Ireland. The tradition of pumpkin carvings has stuck ever since. The tradition of lighting the way for spirits also carried over and is how carved pumpkins became associated with Halloween. So to sum it up, during the Regency, in most of England, Halloween was essentially ignored in favor of Guy Fawkes' day. Halloween was recognized and celebrated in the Celtic areas of Great Britain, Scotland, Wales, and the Isle of Man and Ireland, and in parts of England which bordered these regions. But those celebrations were less Catholic or popish than they were shades of the pagan festivities of Samhain still observed in Regency times. The very superstitious who had reason to fear the returning dead might mask or otherwise disguise themselves that night. Other superstitious folk might participate in rituals to protect themselves from the mischief of fairies. But for the most part, Halloween in the Regency was a night of games, many of them intended to reveal the future spouse of the single players. Those living in a rural area in which a hiring fair was in progress might attend to take advantage of the other entertainments which might be on offer, one of which would almost certainly be a large bonfire and probably fortune-telling. So there you have it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of information. <laughs> Tons of information, but such good information. Like I had never heard the story of Stingy Jack. I know. It's so cool. And I mean, our book today talks about carving turnips. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was important to include because they definitely do that in our story. And it's just, it, it is Interesting. I mean, Halloween in America is such a huge cultural touchstone, you know? It's like people are really into it these days. I feel mm -hmm. like even from when we were kids, you know, it's like people decorate the front of their houses like with tons of things and fake cobwebs. And now people are doing big light displays and blow up doll things, you oh, know? Yeah. It's it's nuts. Somebody decorated their house for Halloween more than 10 weeks before Halloween started in my neighborhood. Wow. I was like, whoa, that's commitment. Like 10 weeks of Halloween decorations? Well, some people I, go all out. I remember in my neighborhood as a kid, there was always the one house and they would literally put on like a haunted house for the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So it started construction like yeah. in sep in early September and then on Halloween you could like go to the house that was the haunted house. Well, and I mean that's why like each year we've tried to do a spooky themed episode because it's it's something that, you know, it's just around us and mm -hmm. you know, people are thinking about in this season. And so so that's why we've done this, although really it's hard to find any because as we just said 
Halloween wasn't a thing in the Regency. No, it wasn't. We did consider it happened one autumn, you know, like a fall themed book, even though there's not a lot of fall in the book. It's just mostly the title. Anyhow, um, we'll see what happens next time. Yeah, you know, we just, uh, we really like going for that Halloween craze. (laughs) It's just fun to do something else. And honestly, the challenge of having to find a book has given us some new authors. So Mm -hmm. great. Fabulous. So our main tropes today is a mystery is afoot. Yes. And our main characters are Ian Cameron and Robert Townsend. And this is... I kind of feel like the best description of this is this is the second epilogue. Mm-hmm. So our characters have already met and found their happily ever after previously. So we're picking up with them. And uh, we'll talk more about that in our book discussion. But let's get into our very short summary, shall we? We shall. Ian and Robert have already met and found their happily ever after in a previous book, A Scot's Surrender. They found a way to live comfortably, but discreetly in the times, open to their families and close friends. Ian works on the family's property with a cottage of his own, while Robert has rooms in the main house. Ian is a brusque Scotsman with a tough exterior, but a warm heart. Quote, Once Robert had thought him immovable, unapproachable, but he wasn't really any of those things. He was only careful, with his heart especially. So it was a very good thing that he'd given it to Robert, who knew how to protect precious things. Robert is a practical perfectionist, a novelist who writes supernatural mysteries and believes that those sorts of things live firmly on the pages of books. So when Ian sees and hears an apparition of a woman in the days leading to All Hallows Eve, Robert struggles to come to grips with it. Quote, But you believe in ghosts. You think you saw one? Ian nodded as if there was nothing wrong with the logic of not being superstitious but believing in otherworldly beings. What did it look like? Was it translucent? Was it a woman in a white dress? They always wear white dresses in the stories. You don't believe me, do you? Robert tried to be tactful. Ian was, contrary to the gruffness of his exterior, somewhat sensitive. It's not that I don't believe you. I find it difficult to believe in otherworldly matters in general. But you write books about them, Ian pointed out. Fiction. You wanted to believe in them once. Robert remembered that conversation very clearly, remembered soft-spoken words in a starlit night, and Ian, Ian beside him. He was right. After Robert's parents had died, he'd wanted to believe in ghosts because it was better than believing in nothing at all. But he'd looked for signs for months, held out hope for even longer. If some part of his parents' spirits had lingered after they were gone, Robert hadn't found them. Wanting to believe and actually believing are far different things, he finally said. But the ghost that Ian saw is persistent, anguished, and has a score to settle. She eventually shows herself to Robert as well, and he is left with no doubt about her existence. And so the pair, along with Robert's sister Genevieve, strike out to discover what's tethering her to this world. Along the way, they learn a few more things about each other. Their worries for their relationship surface, and the danger that presents itself with the gathering of information gives them a hurdle to surpass. Eventually, they plunge through the danger and the spookiness, reunite the ghost with the bones of her dead lover, and emerge as a couple who is even more resolute and strong and their happily ever after. Quote, It was an odd thing to be secure in someone else's love, to have that space, that feeling, be inviolable. 
It was changeable, maybe, because nothing remained unchanged, but it would grow and change with them. Its roots were deep, like that centuries-old hawthorn tree, profound and unshakable, no matter how much it weathered. That was simply who Robert was and who they were together. Aw, a very tidy ending there after a very messy ghost tale. (laughs) Yes, it was a very surprising ghost tale. Yes, it was. And should we talk more about that after we adjourn to the parlor? We shall. So today we are once again talking about the historical romance retreat of 2022, which is happening in San Diego, California at the magical historical Westgate Hotel. As a reminder, it's a fabulous event where you get to step back in time with your favorite authors. There you'll get to join some of the world's most celebrated authors of historical romance coming together for an intimate gathering that gives every guest a chance to mingle and play. So the main retreat runs September 28th through October 2nd, and today we're going to talk you through the schedule a little bit. So on September 26th and 27th, (laughs) the Monday, Tuesday, you have the uh, writer's track, and there's registration and workshops. So that is extra limited, and we've talked about that in previous episodes. We're not going to highlight too much about that, but if you're interested in that, you can definitely check out the website for more information about the writer's track. And that is on the 26th and 27th, Monday and Tuesday. But then on Wednesday, the main retreat begins. So on Wednesday, you're going to find registration. You're going to check in and get welcomed, pick up your incredible goodies and get ready for the retreat. Then from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., there is the HRR Emporium, and that's open every day. And there you can shop the vintage boutique that's filled with treasures and trinkets. Thursday. There's also the Emporium. It's never the same boutique one day to the next, so you always want to make sure to check it out. That's open throughout the day. There's also historical presentations and workshops, interactive and hands-on fun to bring history to life, led by your favorite authors. And there's also exclusive Gentlemen's Club presentations, topics every historical man should be privy to. And yes, ladies may attend. Oh, scandalous. Yes. (laughs) And there is also the afternoon tea, um, a historical romance retreat tradition, a full elegant tea service to take you back to a simpler time. Costumes encouraged, but not required. This year's tea has a surprise in store, and you may dress in any era for this magical party. And that is from 4 to 5 p.m. Everything else, all the other workshops are from 9 to 3.30. I am so excited about the tea. I like, I absolutely love, um, you know, a full tea service. It's like Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to do whenever I'm visiting somewhere that like has that as a thing. And I've even done it in my hometown a couple of times. It's just like, it's just fun. It feels like I'm, I'm doing something so, so superfluous. And that's my favorite kind of treat yourself activity. I recently did one a couple months ago with some friends and it was in an old house, Mm. you know, that was built and it was also a museum. But like, 
they we had like a tea and they had all like the china brought out for us and we got to do it in the dining room and then we got a tour of the house so it was quite fun <laughs> oh my gosh i can't wait so then of course we've got friday still there's the emporium that you can check back in on there are more historical presentations and workshops that are led by some of the amazing authors at the retreat. Uh, more about those schedules, by the way, will come out closer to the event. Um, so we'll be talking to about them later on as well. And then you've got uh, the Highland, oh dear, uh, C-E-I-L-I-D-H. It's probably like Killed? I don't know. It's a dance, basically, where kilts are encouraged but not required, gentlemen. And there you can learn the Highland Fling and kick up your heels. They say, if Outlander makes your heart beat faster, get ready to swoon. So that is at nighttime. That's a, an evening event from 8 to 10.30 p.m. That sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. All right. And then Saturday is the Great Book Exhibition. So remember, this isn't just for members of the retreat. It's also open to the public. So if you can't make the whole retreat, you can at least go to the Great Book Exhibition. It'll have book signing, and it's also historical fair. So lots of free goodies. That's from one to four. And then there's all in the evening, there is the Regency Grand Ball. It's the <gasps> grand finale to the retreat with live music and period dancing, the highlight of every social season. So uh, it's more than a chance to shine. It's a chance to fly. Heavy appetizers served. Oh, thank goodness. But you know, ladies cannot eat when they are at a ball. <laughs> no, they need to be peckish. They're not allowed to eat dinner. Mm -hmm. Little birds, little birds. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, and then on Sunday, there's a farewell breakfast. And there is also a grand prize drawing there. And that's just from 9 to 10 a.m. And that gives you a chance to get home and relax and recover from an amazing week mm -hmm. of I would say time traveling? Sounds like time traveling to me. Yes. Well, you can learn more and register by visiting bit.ly slash HRR2022 today. And if you'd like to find out more on us, you can find us on social media at Instagram and Twitter at T as in Tom as and as in Nancy Strumpets. Facebook slash T as in Tom and as in Nancy Strumpets. And YouTube by searching our name. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, now's a great time to click that thumbs up, hit subscribe, you know, like, comment. We love hearing what you guys have to say. And we so appreciate all your support. And if you'd like to know ahead of time what we're reading each month, subscribe to our email notifications via our website. If you subscribe, you'll be the first to know what we're reading each month. Plus, you'll get all sorts of extras, including exclusive content from each of the authors who join us on the podcast. Our website is romancepod.com, and there you can find episodes, more information about us, and other resources. So take a look. All right, so now we get to talk about this delightful little spooky story that we read. Yeah, there was some quite spookiness to it. Yeah, I didn't really detail the ghost story because, I mean, like, 
It's a ghost story. You got to read it. And it's a short little novella. So I hope that encourages people to go read it. But yeah, it's like that ghost is like whipping her head around and staring at people and saying creepy things and pushing people out of windows. Yeah, no, it's wild. Yeah. I was was genuinely a little bit creeped out by the ghost. But that's what you're supposed to feel, right? Yeah, I was definitely – I mean, I read it first thing in the morning. So I wasn't like creeped out or anything because it wasn't nighttime, but I was definitely like in it for the ghost story. I was like, who is this person? What are her Mm -hmm. needs? How are they going to be able to like do the thing? I was, you know, because it was a novella, um, I was a little disheartened because I was like, oh man, this could be such a crazy action and adventure. There's so many twists and turns that could go wrong in order to finish the job. But sadly, well, not sadly, Perfectly. It was a novella, so everything worked out well and worked conveniently. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was speaking of that, like, I thought this was really interesting because I was, as I said, kind of in the beginning, like, this is basically a second epilogue of their story. Like, they already found their happily ever after. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I come in knowing nothing about these guys, but I still found it, like, really easy to pick up. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, I figure, you know, I, I, I know what's going on here. And I think thought it was quite interesting because it's like they've they found their happily ever after but she still like used the romance normal novel formula of like having kind of some conflict that they mm-hmm. have to get over right yeah. which is that you know one believes in something and the other you know doesn't but believes in the person but then mm-hmm. they like i mean I, but still also they're they're kind of having these these real what felt like really real moments of their relationship being tested like as they're they're strong in their relationship but they're still new enough in it that they're like you know do i trust that this person really feels this way about this thing and so they really do have to kind of have a few more experiences that like really solidify who they are to each other. I I definitely feel that, you know, they have that internal dialogue, you know, where they're laying next to each other and, you know, one's sleeping and the other one's just kind of awake looking. And they do have those kind of questioning moments, which I think are very natural and human, but you don't see mm-hmm. those in the happily ever afters, you know, versus this is a second epilogue in the sense that their relationship was only solidified a little while ago and yet while they're very happy they're still like is this going to be okay like what about long term you know they're still not quite secure in the relationship in that sense like they yeah. they love it and they're here for it and they love the other person and they want to be there but they're still questioning the validity of it i guess i would say well yeah and they're still questioning like how the other person feels. I think they're both in that like that phase of love where you're like, can they really love me as much as I love them? Uh-huh. You know? And so they're trying to like, they're not in that secure, the secure phase. Like, you know, when you've been with someone for eight or 10 years and you're just like, ah, I like, <laughs> yeah, you love me as much as I love you, but we love each other different amounts on different days. And, <laughs> and you know what? You're stuck with me, bud. So <laughs> there you go. And we're going to make everything work come hell or high water. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that, um, that they just aren't there yet. And I liked seeing them kind of waver a little bit. Mm-hmm. They were it wasn't that they were going to 
they it, it wasn't ever that they were going to break up. No. Like, and thank goodness, because this is a happily ever after, happily ever after, right? Yeah. So we, as a romance reader, that's, that's really not what I'm our not hearts can handle. I'm not here for needless drama. It's not high school. No, but this was, this felt like the, the real bumps on the, in the road that people ha- in, encounter after mm-hmm. getting married or committing to each other in, in whatever aspect. So I, I really liked it. Agreed. I really did, too. Let's talk about our characters. Let's. Um, so which one first? Ian? Yeah. Ian, I think, is good. So Ian is more the kind of driving force behind this. Mm-hmm. He's the main, like, this isn't giving too much away, but basically, like, there's this curse about when a member of his clan falls in love. Uh-huh. So he's kind of the trigger because it's the first All Hallows Eve where he's found love. So that's kind of what's <laughs> triggering all these events. So, but it's it's really nice because he is again, you get that questioning where he feels kind of insane for being like, there's a ghost, it's creeping me out. But he's like, who else am I gonna tell? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of like his ability to be vulnerable with Robert. Mm-hmm. And that comfort level of being vulnerable. Yeah. I, yeah, I really liked Ian. I, I think that we got a very small snapshot of each of these characters. So it's like kind of hard to rate them just because like, I wish that I had the background of them Mm -hmm. in, in their stories. I think that they were both interesting and dynamic in this story. And I liked both of them for, yeah. you know um so i i did like that i liked ian's personality and character i i thought he was interesting you know he's the strong silent type um but he you know has these this outward pe- appearance of strength but obviously like has this kind of melty heart yeah and you know is a man of few words but when he says words they mean a lot mm-hmm. and then at the same time you know he has this the similar juxtapositions of his character were like, you know, he's a little superstitious, even though he doesn't seem like he would be, you know, because he's just mm-hmm. such a like man, you know, man. yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I always like that. You always like when a character has something that doesn't, it, it, they aren't what they first seem, right? Mm-hmm. And um, but I also I just liked kind of his reserve, but he and his reserve and his resolve. Um, he was. He was great. I, I I I don't know. They were such light. It was such little light little things. Kind of hard to dissect. Yeah, and I think that really comes to play with Robert. So like Robert's uh-huh. much more the chatty guy, the you know gregarious one, the extrovert. You would say mm-hmm. of the relationship, and so I felt like I got a little bit more of a feel for Robert versus Ian. Yes, but I think mm-hmm. that's just their personalities in that sense. And Robert, he's a writer. He has a good relationship with his family, which I really like. I also think that even though when he didn't 100% believe Ian, he was like, well, it's clearly bothering him. So even if I don't believe it, I want to fix what's bothering him. And mm-hmm. I like that he, you know, had the resolve of they had to get through Robert first before they could harm Ian. Yeah. You know, there was this very protective atmosphere aspect to it which for a silly kind of guy which i felt like they kind of played him off as kind of silly and dandyish mm-hmm. almost like he was very much a protector and yeah 
you know, really was there compassionate and caring for Ian. So, yeah. Can't agree more. I mean, I think you summed it up because this is not a long book of as we have alluded to. <laughs> um, and and this is why I would give both of them 7.5s. I think they're strong and good. I just, I don't, you know, there's nothing that I can really fault them on. I like everything I've read. I just want more for me to yeah. be able to fall in love harder. I know. Well, I I would agree with that rating. And I also just think that what's hard is it's almost like, I want to go back and read their book to get more mm-hmm. feel of them, but I'm almost afraid to get back in their yeah. book because I don't know what the plot line of that book is, and I don't want to hate either one of them during the plot process. Me too. I think I'm probably going to read something else of hers because I, I really did enjoy her writing. I thought that that, that this was, um, you know, a, a, for all of the reasons we've talked about, I thought it was an interesting little second epilogue. And I think that's a hard thing to do. We read eight of Julie Ann Long's, or not Julie Ann Long. We read eight of Julia Quinn's, although actually we haven't done all we of them. We haven't done still all have of a them. Few we still left. have a few left. We do. Anyhow, regardless, I mean, we have read them in the past and some of them were more successful than others, mm-hmm. you know, um, as, as is the case in any endeavor of anybody's. Um, so I just, yeah, I, I thought that this was a really interesting little book and, and her writing was good. So I want to pick up another of her book. But speaking of the writing, do you have a favorite quote? I do. Let me fish it out here quickly. I really liked a lot of the quotes in this. I thought you picked some good ones. I thought the writing in it was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Although when we say Ian's a man of few words, I'm going to give you this one line and that Robert is talking about Ian. Mm-hmm. And basically the last sentence is, and when he put forth the effort, he could be utterly devastating in the space of a few syllables. That's a really nice turn of phrase. That's a really nice turn of phrase. Okay, so this is just like a descriptive little quote, but I just really thought it was uh, – I just really thought it was beautiful and really – you could visualize really well with it. So, mm-hmm. in the inner courtyard, a single elm tree stood. Not long ago, a brilliant yellow crown had surrounded it, but the rough winds of late October had ravaged the tree, and as they passed under it, the last few remaining leaves separated from the branches, drifting down like shed tears. That's nice. And very um, evocative for that kind of Halloween mood, right? That that fall spooky sense. Mm-hmm. It's still beautiful, but also a little bit like, hmm. Yeah. No, so there's just, there's just really nice little passages and phrases just descriptive that I really loved. Yeah. So I'm going to share three short ones. Okay. Um, and one is spooky, one is character development, and one is something a little different. So I'll save that one for last. So the first one I'm going to do is the character development. And there's just this little conversation between the two of them where towards the middle to the end of the ghost story, Ian's Ian's feeling very rattled Mm -hmm. and kind of like, well, I guess this curse on my family, I guess that's just how it is. And, you know, I'm kind of, he's, he's a little bit lost. And Robert says, sometimes you make me angry. And Ian says, why? And Robert says, because you shouldn't ever stop fighting, not if the alternative is not being together. And I just really liked that kind of like really real, honest moment between the two of them. Mm -hmm. So then we have the spooky one. So here it is. I just like, you know, it gives a good spooky flavor to what to how it was. 
There was no fighting gravity, no undoing what had already been done. Her eyes flared wide and bright, or sorry, wide and white, when her unnatural weight became too much and Ian began to topple forward. I'm sorry, she whispered, resigned. I always fall. And I was like, in that moment, like it really was spooky. Like Ian had been lured out of a window and they were falling off a building. It was just like, ah! (laughs) So the other thing, uh, some of my favorite writing in this book came at, and you're not going to believe this, the passages that were at the top of every chapter. (gasps) What, what, what? I know normally I hate these, but they were little snippets from Robert's books. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought they worked really well because they were this juxtaposition of his, you know, fictional writing, which was kind of about spooky things uh, to what was happening. So I'm going to share one of them with you. I guess he wrote like detective uh, supernatural novels. So Constable Whitley was frightened by ghosts, heights, deep water, dark nights, his own shadow. He would never have guessed that amidst all these very real fears, the thing that would ruin him was love. (laughs) And I was like, I want to read that too. (laughs) (laughs) It's very sweet. I've got one more little one for you, which is just funny. And so I really, I'm putting it in there because it's funny. And uh, I will probably be reading uh, Georgina's, I cite his, oh, Georgina's book. Her name's not Genevieve. In the description, oh. we called her Genevieve. Whoops, whoops, my bee. I did it from memory. <laughs> it's Bad. okay. Georgina. Okay, so Geor- this is when we are learning about, like, the things. And Georgina is helping them discover what's with the ghost and everything. Because that's just her. Yes. That's just what she does. So Georgina stood, her chair scraping along the floor in her haste. If we need to dig up a grave, we should be going. <laughs> if we need to dig up a grave. Those were words Robert could have gone an entire lifetime without hearing. I know she was very plucky. I was also quite interested in her book. And sorry if I misquoted her name there. That's uh, that's what I get for reading it on a tiny screen, I guess. <laughs> I read this one on my phone because it was Kindle Unlimited. So oh, yeah. I had I have that on my phone. I don't have a Kindle. So, you know, um, but that actually is a good segue into the steaminess rating and discussion. We had two encounters in this, mm-hmm. this short little novella. Um, and I, to be honest, I just like was not into them. Like I didn't, I didn't care about them. And I think though, reading things on my phone just disconnects me from that so much. I tend to just be like there for the story and not mm-hmm. for like the moments just because reading on my phone is such a uncomfortable experience for me. I really dislike it. I, I find myself taken out of the story more than put into it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a fair assessment of how steamy it was. How did you find it? I think they were a little steamy, but I was also kind of like, it was just really hard because there was like a couple encounters mm-hmm. and yeah, and they were like very vivid encounters, but because the book was so short, it almost seemed like they were put in – like, there was one scene I thought was good. Like, I think the second encounter was much more, like, related to the story. But I mm-hmm. felt like they were kind of gratuitous encounters instead of mm. – like, they didn't feel like the flow was there. I think it starts there. off with an encounter, doesn't it? Like, the first thing is them – like having a conversation in bed and then they kind of fool around. I can't exactly remember. And and I, I agree. I think maybe also 
you and I don't have the history with them. Yeah. Right? So, so that's we don't what I mean have- is I feel like they're gratuitous in the sense that like you want to like capture that feeling you maybe got in the first book. But since I didn't read it, it was kind of like this is a very heavy seat. This is a very heavy encounter for a 70 page book. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. But yeah, I, I mean, overall, I guess it was a cup of tea. It was a cup of tea. Yeah. And I didn't dislike it. I just, like, again, no. I just thought, like, the second one I thought more fit it. it was because there was, you know, that emotional connection. And then it kind of, like, sped along from there. So gotcha. I could get a little bit more into that one. But, yeah. Makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So now we're on to, again, my favorite segment <laughs> that I like to complain about. <laughs> our, <laughs> our feminist recap. I thought this book was... Totally in the supporter category. Like I said before, I you know I wanted to bring moments that empowered me or moments that I you know felt like were were positive or negative in this segment, and I didn't really have any. I think it represents intersectional feminism, though, as a whole. I would agree with that. I think that overall, you have a very supportive family. You've got a family in which like the women are strong characters in their own right. Like even in the short novella like the sisters and like the wife of the brother you know was very much like you know you knew who they were they were respected in the family so and and we're telling a story about you know a minority group in uh, historical times i think you know that in in itself is um you know a, a tenant of of intersectional feminism and i think everything Everything was just really positive in this book. Perfect. (laughs) So speaking of that positivity, what rating would you give our book? I would say for a teeny tiny short novella, it gives it an eight. I think there's like, I think it's a fun story. I think it doesn't take a lot of time. I think the characters are great. I think the writing was very good. I think overall, I'd give it an eight. I completely agree. (laughs) We're just on the same page for this one. I think that this book did everything it set out to do. It -hmm. gave us a spooky story. We got to see characters uh, after their happily ever after, but it was like a really good second epilogue. Mm -hmm. I think that there were, I think that all the quotes we shared, like summed it up so well because we were like good writing, funny, good characterization, spooky. Mm -hmm. Like it, it hit all the buttons it was going for. Yeah. I think that as is the case with novellas that you and I find, it's like, it's really hard to get a novella over an eight just because it's like, well, we want more. And yeah. I think maybe, maybe if we'd read the first one, we would have given this even more, or maybe we would have given it less. Who knows? Who knows? I think though, one thing, like I feel very confident in that solid eight, you know, and maybe if I was rating it just on a novella scale, I might even give it like a nine for a novella scale in the sense that it was a short mm-hmm. novella that didn't try to do too much. And that is, I think, something that is a trap that some novellas fall into. It's like it's a short story, but they try to do too much. They try to make it too overly complicated. And it's like, no, no, no. You're trying to do this in 150 pages. Great. You have 150 pages. Don't like either set out to write a full length novel or set out to write a novella. And this was very much a novella set out to be Mm -hmm. a novella. It was quick. It happened like I could have almost had more, but I think it should want me leaving more. In that sense, you know, I don't 
I think it would have ruined it if they had made the ghost story too complicated or made the ha- or made the resolution of the ghost appearance too complicated. I think it would have lost some of its essence from that. I can't agree more. We are so simpatico today. <laughs> <laughs> it's the spoopy time. All right, Zoe. So thank you for this lovely pick of a spoopy novel. But what are we reading next time? I think we have a full-length book ahead of us. We do. We have a full-length book. And actually, we've read one novella in this series, which we coincidentally gave a perfect 10 to, Mm -hmm. both of us, I believe. Um, And that novella is about the parents of the hero of the novel we're reading. So we are going to be reading The Heiress Effect by Courtney Milan next week. I am so excited if you can't hear from my voice. I have been waiting since we started the podcast to reread this book because I didn't (laughs) want to reread it until we do the summary and do Uh the thing because I have a lot of mixed memories about this book. And it's like pretty personal to me. I'm just excited to get to talk about it with you. I'm so excited. And if you if you just don't like it, if, if it's not fun for you, that's totally fine. No pressure here, Kelsey. I just <laughs> I'm excited to have a discussion about this book because I think this book is going to bring a really good discussion. Excellent. Well, I'm excited for it. It's waiting for me to read it. I am ready to go. I am also ready to go. I can't wait to pick it up again. So thank you all so much for listening and join us next time as we read The Heiress Effect, which is book number two in the Brother Sinister series by Courtney Milan. And may all your ever afters end happily. Ooh.